Hello, everyone. Another episode of Indigo Cast. Today, I have as a special guest, Nerdslayer. We've uh, gone on his podcast a few times. He's gone on mine at least once. And we share a lot in common. He has a deep love and appreciation for uh, MMOs in particular, but I think we both share a long history of uh, computer RPGs and RPGs in general. So, uh, welcome. Thanks again for uh, coming on, uh, Nerdslayer. Thanks for having me, and good to see and talk to you again. And I'm looking forward to talking about rpgs yeah me too um yeah we we go we go quite actually you're probably uh my earliest youtube uh colleague i think because i i think we accidentally crossed paths years ago because uh we independently both made a uh retrospective video on hellgate london and we both came out within like a couple weeks of each other and it was just a weird coincidence because nobody had really seriously talked about that game for like five ten years <laughs> so i think that's how we started then we both covered uh trigger games and stuff uh which they made some of the, my in my opinion some of the best uh, rpgs of all time so yeah we've, we've uh uh although you're definitely way more into the mmo sphere than i am i think we both kind of uh, have some ley lines as you would uh on rpgs definitely and i think i also um you know i don't know how heavily you got into jrpgs as well but i also am a pretty big jrpg fan too which is usually surprising the most but yeah i love jrpgs yeah uh i love i love like western kind of crpgs i love uh action rpgs like uh diablo and i also go way back um i mean my first i think my very first rpgs were jrpgs going back to like the square days like uh you know i played the original final fantasy i played uh i played tons of snes uh rpgs like you know final fantasy 6 uh chrono trigger which is still one of my favorite games ever um you know and then final fantasy tactics more of a strategy rpg but it's, it shares a lot of the same blood but yeah i know i uh, there there aren't there isn't any particular rp uh genre of rpg or subgenre of rpg that i don't like but i definitely have my favorites i don't know about you like what's what's your ideal rpg look like so i i'm actually kind of weird when it comes to like rpgs and story which is like um even like when i watch tv or watch like a movie I don't really like action that much. So yeah, I actually, oh. I I really like like story experience. Like I actually really enjoyed a, a, a obviously Disco Elysium, but there's other titles like that. Um, even Age of Decadence was one that allowed you to do it without um, doing it the combat way, for example. Um, and there's there's also games like uh, historic games like Neverwinter, which allowed you to maybe not necessarily take a, a pacifist route, but you could talk your way out of a lot of things. So like I've always liked those games, the ones that are more like dialogue focused, the ones that are more narrative focused, where con- combat is usually like not as big of a deal. And that's kind of just because it's typically not that great. But um, that's why Divinity totally changed that. But uh, uh, generally speaking. I don't really care too much about the combat as much as I care about the story. If it's good story, I mean, like Planescape Torment, I'll I'll suffer through the menus or <laughs> the UI <laughs> or whatever else. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think we even discussed uh, uh, Planescape quite a bit in our last one where we did that really way too ambitious uh, ranking uh, thing uh, that was like <laughs> a year or two ago. But uh, I think we all agreed that like uh, Planescape is like god tier storytelling, but middling gameplay just because you know it it wasn't you know it was your infinity engine type game um but uh, i mean it it probably didn't quite measure up gameplay wise to something like uh Baldur's Gate or Icewind Dale but you know story wise it was really compelling and and in a in a way the gameplay kind of took a backseat in that game in some ways yeah i think that um 
I don't know where you stand with um, <clears throat> gameplay in an RPG or combat in an RPG, but I think largely the reason why people haven't had some big focus on it is because they typically haven't been the best, like, you know, in, in a sense, like even at the time, like when they came out, like maybe you can argue in a strictly mechanical sense, but maybe not in like the, I don't know, how do you describe it without sounding like me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really tough. It's, it's, uh, like I love action RPGs. Like I, 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 um, I told a story multiple times where I skipped my uncle's wedding, um, at a out of state wedding to play Diablo two when it was on launch. So like, I, I, I love, uh, action RPGs, but at the same time, I feel like good combat now that there's been so many, uh, proven successes, I feel good combat is kind of a given, like it's not too difficult to have a, a fun and compelling combat. Like some games definitely to elevate it to another level with like, you know, really intricate systems and balance and whatnot. But I would say that, uh, combat is kind of a given, whereas it's really difficult to make compelling role-playing in an RPG. It's way more difficult because there haven't been that many games that really do it well. And unfortunately, uh, combat usually goes one of two ways. You win or you don't. Whereas there is like role-playing, there is no real, like necessarily win or, you, you can do it like that to a, a win state or a fail state, but the most interesting thing about role playing is there is uh there is no real um win or fail state in role playing. You can do better or you can do worse, you can do and it, sometimes the paths paths just aren't it, you know, just aren't even comparable. You know, you could take a a, a pacifist route or a, an aggressive route, but one isn't necessarily better than the other. So it's it, it's not it's not as simple as the goblin is dead or the goblin's alive. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, for sure. And, and actually something that I wanted to kind of hop on there, I guess as well, and maybe transition a little bit is like, what about the games where they're not so RPG centric or an RPG like obvious, but they end up being kind of very role play. Like, I think people love to use like Deus Ex as an, as an example, right? Like, yeah, is that, is that kind of like the barrier of where you say like the, the outskirts goes into being an RPG versus, you know what I'm saying? Like, I want to see where like the limit is in terms of not being an RPG, but having like these certain like role play game elements versus like being within the realm of what you define as an RPG. I guess we should probably start there a little bit. Yeah. And that, that's, that's kind of an important thing. Uh, sorry. I just, uh, I heard some people in, in chat said you're kind of quiet. Oops. I'm going to be breaking everything. Oh uh, yeah. Right I can there. turn myself up too. Let me see. Yeah. I just, for some reason I can't seem to right click on you and oh, there it is. I could probably bump you up like 122. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Um, let me know if that's good. Yeah. Let me know, Chad, if that's better. Uh, I, uh, I learned myself a little bit just to kind of equal it out. But yeah, I think, I think the 122 should be good. Um, but yeah, I, I guess like, you know, like what was your, what was your introduction to RPGs? Like uh, we probably have a different, very different uh, introduction. Like I started on, I think NES and then evolved to like DOS games and stuff. But what was your, what was your first like true RPG that you would have, that you played when you growing up? And um, I would probably say it would have to be a um, an online game um, for sure. And, and I think it's hard to know if it was Diablo one um, at the time, because I played Diablo at a time um, that I also played uh, like uh, Dark Eden and other kind of online like RPGs, you know, MMORPGs more like um which they're kind of like RPGs but we can get into that later that yeah. you know, even <laughs> some of those are kind of like dubious with how RPG they are but like those are probably like I guess my first like 
RPGs uh, in a sense, but like in terms of like the story, like actually getting into like CRPGs and all that other stuff, it was never Winter Nights for sure, for sure. And it was just like I found it in a value bin, actually. Oh wow! Like yeah, like uh, I think it was um, after the Platinum expansion, or rather the Platinum kind of edition already came out. So obviously, it already had. Um, I think the two expansions had already came out at the time. So that was probably like the the first one that I found just randomly, booted it up, and was just like. This game's amazing, and it was so good to me that it inspired me to play with the uh, mod tools and just the dialogue <laughs> trees. And you know, to this day, obviously, I still do um, game development, and really, a lot of my early love comes from Neverwinter Nights. So, yeah, I would say Neverwinter Nights one is probably my favorite and first. Yeah, I mean, Neverwinter Nights was incredible in terms of its customizability, like being able to make your own entire worlds and campaigns, multiplayer. Like uh, there was some real, real creative uh, uh, work there, and it really definitely expanded the lifespan. It really kind of evolved past just a just a RPG due to the the toolkit that it gave you. I unfortunately didn't have um, too much experience with Neverwinter until late later because uh, I remember I think I had a 3DFX Voodoo 3DFX chip, um, a Pentium 2, and I could not run that game very well at all. So I had to kind of uh, stick to something my computer could run, but uh, I really respected what I was trying to do for sure. Um, mine was probably going way back, probably the original Final Fantasy on the NES. Um, mm. That that game is interesting because that that was well well before Final Fantasy became more of like a JRPG, quote unquote. Uh, I mean, it was a, a Japanese RPG, but it was basically a D and D light. You know, like you created all four characters from scratch. You gave them names. You gave them classes. Uh, and you built them up from scratch. There wasn't, there was no characters per, uh, per se, like pre prescripted characters, which became uh, like part and parcel with the Final Fantasy series. Like you couldn't play a Final Fantasy past like two or three that didn't have pre named, pre backstoried, uh, scripted characters. Like uh, Final Fantasy One was basically a very simplified version of D and D. And and from what I've read from the interviews from, uh, uh, you know, the creators, uh. The original creators going all the way back to the 80s i i believe that their biggest inspiration were games like wizardry and our dnd and stuff like that so they just really kind of went old school tabletop to console gaming and and although the role-playing aspect was very little in that game um i i did enjoy the the customization that's and i i guess i guess that kind of leads into like what makes an, an rpg because uh, it sounds like a really silly uh, thing to bring up, but the 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 label has become so so uh, ambiguous nowadays. Um, I think that's because everything is has RPG elements nowadays. Like mm-hmm. I've had I've seen racing games with RPG elements. I've seen just about anything. Shooters have RPG. You know, like ever since uh, Modern Warfare, that you have experience, you have progression, you have level ups, you have new abilities you unlock. Like practically every game genre has borrowed from the rpg uh at some point but yet the core definition of rpg has has almost almost always never been carried over (laughs) as weird as that sounds like uh what most people view as an rpg is something like you get dialogue with characters there you can there's a town you can usually buy items and you can level up that's usually what people consider an rpg but it really the the definition isn't it, the definition is a bit more than that. Like I, I 
uh, I could wrote down some some bullet points of kind of what I thought an RPG kind of encapsulates. You could probably add to this too, but uh, I, I consider meaningful choice and story, meaning that your actions, especially through non-combat, actually have like major consequences or meaningful consequences that can affect the story um, or the ending. Uh, you can usually you, you can usually create your own your own character. That there is exceptions to this. Some people I've heard the argument that games like Witcher aren't RPGs because you can't create the character. I disagree. Um, you you can still play the role. I think that creating a, a character definitely is an important part of an RPG, but it's not exclusively like if you have pre-made characters it doesn't mean you can't make an RPG out of that. You could. You just have the roles created for you already. Um, but obviously I think the adventure game genre too also complicates that heavily because yeah. like that's where like and we don't have to get into that right away but like adventure games are <laughs> I mean they're kind of like right there sometimes in terms of being like an RPG and I feel like they really complicate that aspect yeah they do a lot um, and I'd say some adventure games kind of border into role-playing uh, territory because like I don't know what a good example is. Like, what what what's what are some really good adventure I would games? Say Zelda. That you like Zelda is like probably the biggest example yeah. where it's like it typically gets seen now as like the same as like an RPG when you know it had like different levels of being more actiony and more kind of adventurous and like it. I guess like when I look at like a Majora's Mask for example, yeah, the whole thing like you're just running around getting different masks and stuff. It feels kind of RPG like <laughs> in some ways. You're like interacting with uh, NPCs, but at the same time, it the core of that game feels a lot more like an adventure game. So I'd probably say like that's a good one. I think people also mention like Deus Ex as like a action adventure um, as well, right? Like or like a shooter adventure kind of game. I think that's another kind of interesting one that's RPG like. Um, you obviously there's progression in it. You can play the uh, scenarios and uh, maps differently, which yeah. there's some element of like you know choice there. Uh, I, I, you know this like Mass Effect. That whole game, how it goes from being kind of more adventure to being more action oriented. So there's some definitely some. I would say those are like the biggest examples that come to mind for me. Yeah, and that's that's where like the hybridization comes in because uh, it's just so hard to label things things like that. Like uh, Zelda was pitched as an action adventure game, you know, adventure with the puzzles and and the exploration things like that, and action with the the combat. But as time went on, like I would have a very strong argument that uh, unless you really are pedantic with a couple small details like experience, I would argue that Breath of the Wild is a full-blown RPG. Like it's got, it's got pretty much, it's got dialogue, it's got choices, it's got freedom of, of uh, you know, you know, you, you can you can freely explore the map and go whatever direction you want. You're not you're not uh, you know tunneled into a specific path anymore and You've got shops, you've got, uh, you basically have level ups and everything but name. Like, you know, you can expand your health, you can expand your, your stamina. So it definitely makes strong strides into RPG territory or at least action RPG territory. But uh, then again, like, uh, there's some games that start out as something completely different. Like, my, my favorite example is Assassin's Creed. Assassin's Creed was a stealth game. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 by the time uh the that's the, why i liked it originally <laughs> yeah i know splinter cell i loved splinter cell yeah yeah and i mean i had some silly things like you just like you know, do your hands like this and you're invisible but uh i love the original i loved uh the second one too um those are my favorite of the series and but as things went on they just kind of completely went chameleon mode and changed i i mean my my fiance is playing through uh valhalla and i see that game and it's just like that's 
that's basically an open world RPG at this point. It's got, mm-hmm. it's got all the, all the hallmarks of that. Right. It, but, uh, the most important things are, are never really prioritized. Like the, like the choices, like, do you, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of, a lot of our open world games have this problem too, where you can do anything you want at any point in time, but only one way, you know what I mean? So like, you're basically doing the same things out of sequence. So like that, that that's, that's a, the kind of the GTA way where like a mission will basically play out one way, but you can play that mission at any point in time, at any point in time in the story, or usually with a lot of variety uh, or um, flexibility in where you're going to do that mission. So it gives you the illusion of choice, but essentially when you do that mission, it's going to go run one way. So I think an RPG where an RPG really stands out is the way you've built or developed or made choices um, through the story with your character should, you should a have choices and, and B those choices should have uh, make a difference uh, in the, 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 you know, the being of characters, their story arcs, the ending, things like that. And I think that's at the, at the core, what a true RPG would be. But a lot of our RPG quote unquote elements are just stats and level up, you know, stats, stats, equipment, level up. That's usually what people boil it down to. Yeah, and I, I like that you say that, like, um, the RPG, like, you talk about the RPG elements, because, like, when I think about, like, you talk, we talked earlier about, like, adventure games, and then how, like, sometimes there is, like, a uh, hybridization, but you have to think to yourself, like, so then what is, like, the delineating factor, and it has to, in some way, be choice, because you look at adventure games, and some of them, you know, they really, truly do lack choice, like, to your point, um, I think a great thing about the early Final Fantasy VII is like, uh, although it's definitely a you know an RPG, um, that game feels way more open ended than it actually is, and that's because I think that like Japanese developers are amazing at doing that. So like Zelda, more and more started to feel more RPG like even before it was. I think yeah. just because they're just amazing at doing an adventure game to where it feels kind of more like an RPG, if that makes sense. But ultimately, you're right, and that they lack at the core choice. You can't really change anything at the core of the story in fact i thought of a great example that's a western example and i don't know why this one slipped my mind because it's one of my favorite franchises but jedi knight going into jedi academy became a lot more like uh going into outcast going into academy rather became a lot more rpg like they started to let you like choose your missions and different orders and customize your character and stuff and like you weren't just playing as you know kalkatarn anymore uh for like the seventh time but uh that's definitely one, but like early on, there's no way you could change the story almost at all. But technically, in Academy, you can, there's like two different ways to play it. But I mean, it's like, it's pretty like arbitrary, but even pretty binary, that is a yeah. good example. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, that's another thing I kind of isolated is that um, an RPG, if it's, if it's really embracing the medium, should each player should have a, a relatively, a pretty unique experience. Like, it, uh, with choices, like, you know, I, I blew my mind the other day, um, with ch- just like a, a handful of choices, um, multiplied on each other, you'll basically never get the same result. Like, uh, th- there's a theory that in a deck of cards, no deck of cards has been shuffled exactly the same way ever. I don't necessarily believe that, but here's a weird fact. The ways you can combine a deck of cards, the, the, the number of unique ways you can uh arrange a deck of cards is a higher number than the number of atoms in the in the earth (laughs) so it's like it's a ridiculous amount of numbers so basically like the idea is that if at this point you can make these few choices at this point you make these few choices it would eventually branch off into the fact the 
the the potential that nobody has ever had a truly same experience. Like everybody has their own experience, and that 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 requires actual branching paths that make a difference in your experience. Like different areas that not everybody may explore, uh, different characters that may you may not explore, different lines of dialogue that not everybody might hear, uh, different missions that you know not everybody might be able to play through, and that I think kind of represents the the differing experience you could have ba- making a different character like for example i you mentioned deus ex i love the deus ex franchise it's probably one of my favorite games ever um that that is definitely a hybrid but it does embrace the rpg tenet of having if you build your character a different way you will have a very different experience in each mission so like in this mission you may go guns blazing blam 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 uh, break open the door with a grenade go upstairs find the bad guy shoot him that could be your experience. Whereas my experience uh, could be I sneak behind all the guards, I shoot, I knock them with like stun guns and like shoot trank darts into them. I uh, pick lock the back door. I hack into the main the the mainframe, turn off all the cameras, turn the turrets against uh, against their owners, and then sneak up and then uh, you know use diplomacy against the you know uh, the main the main guy instead of just shooting him. So like that's a very different experience than the same exact mission. So one of the things that I see that it's kind of antithetical to modern design is that games now require so many man hours and so many millions of dollars to make that they're kind of paranoid of making any content that, that is not, uh, not everybody sees. It's like, if they make this cutscene, they want everybody to see that cutscene. If they make this boss, they want everybody to see that boss. If they make this area, they want everybody to see that area. And that kind of, I think goes completely against the grain of an RPG where depending on your actions, depending on your character, you'll have a different, uh, different, you know, perspective and a different journey through the world. So I think that's why we're kind of seeing less of that meaningful choice in games. What do you think about that? Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, I don't want to go to the MMO world already, but even just like uh, over there, like there's an aspect of level scaling is becoming far more prominent. And I think level scaling is an I is like this kind of concept that kind of really ruins, you know, a lot of RPG elements yeah. because it's just like everywhere you go, like, you know, I always have to talk about ESO, but <laughs> uh, ESO is just crazy with the level scaling that you can be suddenly, you know, over here in Vivek and then suddenly like transport over here to this area. And there's something like that looks like this, like not even the same at all. Like this thing's like totally big and scary. This thing looks totally normal. And at the same level, it's just like, I just, it, the plausible deniability is just too typical for me personally. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a borderlands where they scale up like the tiny little guys. And he's like this tiny little dinky guy. And he's like, got five modifiers on him and he's like one shotting. And he was like, this is a bit ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> where they just like constantly scale things up. Like, a. I think of an early famous example that was in Elder Scrolls Oblivion, where they added in uh, level scaling into that game. And uh, if you went around just the normal, uh, you know, green outdoors, just like you always had at a higher level, you'll find, uh, you know, bandits that are decked out in full Daedric armor and have like this ridiculous gear. And they're just like, we'll just destroy you. <laughs> and it's just like, where'd you get all that bandit? You know, like the, it, it, it's a, I understand it. Like, a, um, I thank the stars for level scaling when I was playing with friends on Diablo. Cause then like, if somebody was behind and somebody was ahead, they could all play together. It's fun. But at the same time, like it kind of completely undermines any sense of progression. Like you don't feel powerful if, if, if you, uh, a rat's going to scale up to level 100, you know? 
you never feel like you've gained that power because everything's going to basically come up to meet whatever power level you're at. So it's, it's, it's a, it's like a, it's like a mechanic of convenience rather than, you know, what would be realistic in a world like that. And I know you, we've talked about before, like the immersion, you'd like to be immersed in a world and believe that your actions have consequences and you want to believe that this world is. And, and yeah, there's dragons, there's goblins, whatever, but the world should be uh, internally consistent, I think, where, you know, it should make sense within its world. Definitely. And I think that that's kind of also where, like, uh, when you look at a lot of uh, games that kind of seem like RPG or have RPG elements, they'll typically lack a little bit of that um, worldly element to it. And in fact, that's why Dark Souls is a good example people typically use as being like, it has like no story, basically. But yeah. <laughs> um, but it has like this idea of like the world story. And so like if you walk around and like really look into stuff and read the lore, like you can actually get a story experience um that plays maybe closer to what people would feel like as an rpg but otherwise there's like no story experience so it's just kind of like uh isn't it really an rpg if you can kind of ignore the story for example um you know probably not i don't know yeah it's it the i love that series i'm actually replaying uh the demon souls remaster which is my actually my favorite of the series mm. if bloodborne could ran at 60 frames that'd, that'd be a, a contender as well but um but what's amazing about those worlds is they have fascinating worlds that I've obviously had a lot of thought put into them, but there's very little actual dialogue or plot. It's just you're, you're, you're traversing and surviving through a very interesting and, and detailed world, but not really, there's no particular um, scripted plot for you to engage in, which is interesting. Uh, so it really kind of falls into the action RPG catalog, but there's tons of interesting right. lore in the game if you really want to dig into it. Um, and that's probably what's made the game so interesting is that you can really dig into it. But uh, yeah. So my so- question to you, sorry, I'm I'm curious because we're saying a lot of these hybrid kind of titles. And so then my, my question is, do you think like the sum of all parts of so like being just an RPG then is kind of like the more intense form, so to say, versus like being like a hybrid project, right? Yeah, I mean, higher level of you know standard or whatever. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, like the as I was going through the list that I wrote down here, and this isn't anything objective. It's just my viewpoint of what I would consider an RPG to be. Is like, uh, um, you know, traditionally you'd be you start up the game and you spend like the first half an hour just rolling your stats, you know, putting other character. Like I still, in I've seared into my brain, uh, Baldur's Gate two just spending hours just creating interesting characters and and hearing that that music over and over again just like making all these characters and saving and re-rolling re-rolling and trying new characters and that was a lot that was like the kind of iconic rpg experience but that doesn't necessarily need to be in every rpg i think that the the most important facets of like what i would consider a true rpg are the ones that are least obvious like um you think if you roll your stats and you've got skills and you level up and so and so experience to level two, like that's an RPG, bam. Not necessarily. Like a role playing um, is actually fairly, it sounds ridiculous, but role playing is actually fairly rare. Like tr- actual meaningful role playing is fairly rare in games nowadays. Like um, it, it, it's, it requires a lot of choices, a lot of options, and it requires game developers to build out many different po- uh, possibilities. Like I, I would consider one of the truest RPGs ever made would be something like Fallout One and Two, because the, you talk about open ended. That game is ridiculously open ended. Um, like there are so many options you can do. You can skip entire 
you can you can like basically skip half the map if you want to or more if you want to uh i i watched a a, a speedrunner beat fallout 2 in 19 minutes but i i probably spend 100 hours and before i even beat the game you know because you can you can go on all these adventures there's like random encounters you can you can shoot uh travelers on the road or you can barter with them or you can you know buddy up with these patrols or or rob them or you can you know uh steal all this high-end gear from this uh shop and then you know plant bombs and and blow up facilities and and kill all these npcs without them ever knowing you were there like there's just so many options in that game and it it just it kind of is mind-boggling because it really relies on the on the player's creativity to see like what you can do with this world. Like it's almost like a sandbox in a lot of ways. And so you could ar- even argue that some sandbox games are RPGs in spirit and that you can kind of develop, you know, your own, you, you have the freedom of, of choice with consequences. It's just, it's, it's usually missing. Like in the stalker, def- for example. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. games like that, they definitely, uh, go into the RPG territory, but, um, I think RPGs uh, definitely are strengthened by really good narratives as well. But uh, a lot of RPGs, like the most fit, popularly, the most popular RPGs, like the kind of Dragon Ages, the Mass Effects, and stuff like that, have a very strict narrative that allow for like kind of you know alternative ways that the, those narratives go about, and so they give you meaningful choice. But at the same time, you're basically gonna follow along the path it's almost like um instead of having uh many different directions you can walk it's basically like a a railroad or a um a uh uh i don't want to i'm gonna call it that <laughs> something that bad but like a roller coaster that has a couple different ramps you can like almost like a little uh, uh train trains uh rails you can just kind of like switch to that side but it's going to end up going back into the same rail later on like uh, it, it, you know, wide in the middle, narrow at the end, basically. That's That's been the tr- kind of traditional AAA RPG, uh, as you've seen it. And sometimes it's impressive, like you can see characters die and stuff like that in Mass Effect, but uh, it usually they find a way to kind of make that so it doesn't really matter in the end anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's tough. It's not easy, but uh, yeah. What would you consider like a, a the iconic RPG in your in your eyes? It's hard because like in my head, I'm even thinking like, even like are there combat requirements for being an rpg like to a certain extent because like if not then i'd probably say my favorite rpg um and one that i think fulfills the full rpg and i'm gonna have a little bit of a weird reason but i do think it is a game like neverwinter neverwinter 2 obviously um the subsequent expansions just because you can literally change the game yourself there's yeah. an element of that there. And I think there's also an element of you can play with other players, which is like it. Yes, that doesn't necessarily make it necessarily more role play than a single player game in a sense. But then it kind of does. And that's I'm, but my bias is speaking. But when you think about, you know, D&D and playing with players, then, you know, playing with other players, you typically will get better role play experiences than you will from a robot or an AI. Right. Uh, at least so far. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, there's an element of that, too, maybe. Yeah, I mean, uh, you could go really far. Like some of those uh, Neverwinter Nights servers had like just like ton. I think like forty, sixty people on them, and they'd all mm. have their characters that role play. Like you don't have to have NPCs to make an RPG. It obviously helps because a lot of play- players tend to go completely out of character. 
you know, how many times have we played in our, uh, MMO and people are just like shouting at the top of their lungs, you know, uh, you know, sell gold so-and-so, whatever, and just like, you know, completely, you know, out of character, whatever, um, uh, or LFP looking for party or something like that. So like, uh, but NPCs kind of keep the narrative and keep the world kind of stitched together a little bit. But if you had a bunch of really, really uh, uh, good role players, the characters that stay in character, that would be an incredible role playing experience. So I could see something like that—a a good, a good group or a good server on Neverwinter Nights would be a, a fantastic role playing experience potentially. Like, um, I've been you- through it, and it is awesome because there's just something different that everyone on the server a has a character that's like approved, so that no one's like cheating. Um, yeah. Then there's like also a thing of like there might even be multiple dms on the server and they will literally show up if you're causing havoc uh, mm-hmm. at certain places and the game and maps are typically designed in a way where the guards will also protect so like there's multiple mechanics to keep players from just getting killed by another player but if they suddenly did like the dm can just appear trust me i, I did this as a kid. <laughs> but the dm just appeared out of nowhere and just put like the holding hand on me or holding oh, fist on me and then just like pummeled me to death but uh no they uh they would very much enforce the um i think role play and, and that's the hardest part about it and that's why you don't see it in mmos typically as much is that maybe some players are good role players but like they're so rare that like you might get like one good role player out of like couple hundred players um and that's not enough to like really change the whole scene of a game but if it's enforced or you know super encouraged like in a game like neverwinter where it was because it was just D and so when it went online people were just like hey stay in character you had to write your character panel like you know you had to put all your stuff in there so there was like this element of like you could just walk up to somebody and inspect them yeah. Um, yeah. And so there's certain elements that were very role play like that you couldn't get otherwise just playing the normal single player experience. So maybe I'm a little bit biased there as well. Yeah, it's really tough. I, I I've gotten a very similar experience from uh, MUDs way back in the day. Um, they're mm-hmm. ba- essentially the same idea as something like Neverwinter, just text based. Um, mm-hmm. And w- the advantage is that you'd have a small player count and so you would have that sort of interaction people would be able to play off each other and the 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 scope of the realm was seemed pretty big but because of the small player count like your actions could really matter like you could actually um farm out the entire forest and there wouldn't be any spiders or spiders left for somebody else to kill you could uh you know potentially take a unique weapon you know do a quest take the unique weapon and hide it somewhere at, that nobody would ever find it and nobody else will get that weapon like that's the kind of scarcity and like uh the actual consequences of your actions in a, in a world like that i'm speaking of course of major mud um but there, there are lots of other muds but uh uh what's kind of cool about a world like that like neverwinter nights or or uh, major mud or something like that is that your actions like actually had weight and because i don't really know if that sort of thing could could scale up to an mmo like you'd have to there's so many people that are in the MMO for the grind. Oh, I got to get my DPS up. Oh, I got so I read this build on the wiki and I got to, you know, optimize my character so and so and so and so. Or I got another 30 hours of grind to be able to, you know, farm this uh, boss who respawns every two days, who has a 1% chance of dropping a legendary item or something like that. Like that, I noticed that's becoming more and more prevalent, uh, the kind of attitude that people take in these games. And that's fine. I mean, that's your, it's, 
how you want to play, but you're not going to get an RPG, like a role-playing experience out of, out of that attitude. You're just going to get like, oh, when do you want to try the so-and-so? Uh, you know, uh, do you want to farm this for a couple hours? Or I'm looking for party, uh, you know, to do the blah dungeon for the 50th time. Like, you know, you're not going to get a whole lot of like role-playing out of that. I, I, I don't see that, unfortunately. Yeah, like uh, this actually is funny bring this up because like I had really been looking into this lately because I had been studying um, MUDs and the origin of the word and term uh, massive multiplayer online RPG and then kind of other terms that really didn't get used and kind of got looked over. And to your point about saying how these certain games had smaller uh, focuses, on at least like the content was smaller for a smaller amount of players. I think the reason why that kind of gets overlooked is because of what I'm really trying to put out in a video soon, which is like um, there was kind of a bit of a genre that got overlooked and it's just a straight like the online RPG or the multiplayer online RPG genre. I just call it the RPG genre. Like I think it kind of got like jumped over because we suddenly went from being graphical muds to Richard Garriott coins the term massive multiplayer online RPG. And it's because marketing, it was amazing. And it was an amazing term, like still to this day, as much as we can hate, like, you know, certain aspects about it and it's cheesy, so on and so forth. It's very effective. But I think that that actually did a lot of harm to RPGs in general, because it actually, it causes kind of like schism between like where things are trying to be massive. And yet there are still these games that like kind of like Neverwinter that weren't massive. Clearly they couldn't be in order to function in that way, but they had much better role play experiences. And it's why I'm typically so like harsh when people are like, hey, well, Final Fantasy XIV is an MMO. And I'm like, well, I think it's not actually. That's why it's so good at what it does. It's like because it's not trying to be so massive. And I think that's the hard part is like try to convince someone. Obviously, you're kind of arguing in their favor. But like to go into it further, like I looked into, um, you know, the, one of the f- most famous muds ever, DQ Mud. DQ Mud led to RuneScape, led to EverQuest, led to oh. basically the creation of all the major gameplay loops that we know in, you know today. And so um, DQ Mud was um, a game that uh, people like Richard Bartle, um, one of the you know founders of the uh, virtual uh, reality, virtual world kind of like industry um, and really a creator of MUDs in general. I think he created the first MUD called MUD 1 and MUD 2. Um, but uh, Richard Bartle has talked about this, actually. He's called it like virtual worlds are are made by newbies he, he made like a, an article on gamma sutra about it but he basically called out kind of what you were talking about which is like part of the the factor is is what you said earlier is that role play is so complex so so many people just don't have an idea of how to create this like role play or create an environment um an ecology in which somebody actually could role play for example or would naturally role play um a lot of the time they just think it's enough to just give you features like if i just give you features you will create role play you know it's kind of like this idea of like the artist like if you just give an artist like utensils they'll just create art and it's like i wish it was that simple but i have some (laughs) friends that are great at art but i can give them every tool in the book but they won't do anything at all with it right um so there's an element of like you have to also create an environment where the person is willing to create this art or maybe they're trying to interact with other players so suddenly they're trying to you know role play a lot more so i think to your point actually in mmos and um online rpgs in general a lot of the role play aspect was was lost because everything jumped to massive right away and we kind of like missed all this other aspect in between which is kind of hard to replicate at a large scale period even just in real life right like it's hard to role play in real life in a big massive group yeah yeah i mean uh a tightly knit group like it, you're basically doing, um, you're basically doing, uh, an expand version of like traditional, uh, 
you know, tabletop RPGs like Dungeons and Dragons. That's I played that back in the day with some friends and family, and then I dipped in a little bit into Shadowrun, and and those games are very much about creator, uh, uh, sorry, players' creativity and and uh, role playing and the, their imagination. You know, like it at any point in time, a good DM will like you say, oh, you know what, this dragon cave is kind of scary. I'm going to leave and sail across to the other port, and you're like okay, you head to the port, you know, like, you know, options that would be kind of completely uh, unfathomable in most, uh, you know, console or PC RPGs are are just readily available because it's all just paper and you can make up things as you go. And that the flexibility of tabletop gaming is incredible that way. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously uh, it's difficult to translate that into like 3D environments (laughs) and, you know, uh, fully realized digital works, but like I think I think there's there's a headway uh, in that when we see like some of these tabletop like uh, games that are coming out. I think something came on Kickstarter where they have like tile sets and like really like Unreal Engine four environments look really really cool. Tailspire, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tailspire, that's a great example. Yeah, um, so I could see something like that kind of combined with the the toolkit or the the power of the toolkit of something like Neverwinter Nights, like. Um, you could potentially just like, okay, the party now uh, diverts their course to so-and-so and you can just like create a forest and create a, create a castle. Like, okay, I need a, I need a town with, you know, you can use procedural generation for some of this. You could like create a town with five, you know, uh, five towers, a keep, uh, you know, a marketplace, bam, there you go. You got to, you got your town and then you see that town for later. So like uh, that would be, that'd be so incredible if we could actually, have some sort of uh, framework or, or whatever to support that level of freedom and that level of role playing because um, you're always like in any pre built world or any like kind of finite world, you're going to run into those walls. Like, yeah, the game designers didn't really build anything past that that house, so you can't go past there. There's a there's a cart there. You that entire rest of the city is just is just uh, wallpaper basically, and and you know you understand why that limitation is there, but. There, there's that kind of aching is like you really want to get even more immersed in this world like what's what's at the fifth floor of that building there it's like oh you can't enter it the door's locked it's like what if i break open lock now the door's like it's a wall pretty much so uh i don't know where i was going with that but uh yeah so there's like obviously technical limitations and stuff like that but um i don't see why you couldn't make an mmo or a multiplayer game uh you know, work with, with role-playing, but the, uh, the problem is like, once you scale it up to thousands of players or even dozens of players, it gets really hard. It's, some people are just there to, mm-hmm. some people are just there to kill the orcs. You know, some people are just there to get the loot. Uh, so anything I, over 64 players requires you to reverse engineer the yeah. engine basically. So that like anything over 64. So it's like unreal, like it's still to this day, as far as I know, I haven't heard anything different from the people I know in the know um, that work with servers and anything past that has to be re- reverse engineered. So it's like proprietary code every time an MMO gets worked on or created or so on and so forth. It's not like using the unreal engine, really. It's like the unreal engine as a platform that they turned into this online kind of deal. So like, really like that's still happening until that becomes more of like a, even a commonplace thing we won't see like these games capable of reaching the potential they could but to your point they're always going to have issues with going massive because yeah. they're basically built on a framework that's not massive yeah a lot of these um survival rpgs they like use unreal engine as the client but they actually are hosted by like shootergame.exe or something like that i've seen i think arc did for a while there's a couple of the games that did that where it's like basically a, a pretty uh pretty solid 
multiplayer framework that you can just kind of plug clients into. Because uh, a, fr- a buddy of mine hosted a um, an Arc server for a while, and yeah, I believe there was some sort of cap like that. Like, but when you got past a certain player count, like things just started going wrong, or you just couldn't couldn't exceed that because you 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 didn't intend for this to be <laughs> to support you know 500 uh, characters, or whatever. And and even MMOs I've noticed have actually kind of toned down the MMO part of it because um i remember uh probably one of my worst mmo experiences was early on uh i was probably a little bit under spec on my pc but uh anarchy online had no player cap that i know of so like you could enter the town and you just not move like you get one frame per second and just like not be able to move of like you'd be like and just like okay maybe if i hold down w i might get to an area where i can i can look around again or something like that and so i think that's that's kind of inspired uh, a lot of, you know, kind of band-aids over that. Like, uh, you know, obviously technology's gotten better since then, but uh, I know a lot of games use like uh, what, super servers and things like that, where they'll like hide yeah. like 80% of the players from you so that no, no one instance will have more than so-and-so players. So you won't like completely crash your computer. Things like that. I mean, yeah, it, Guild Wars One actually made that like pretty famous. Actually, like a lot yeah. of people don't realize it, but Guild Wars One was um, the first to really use channels in an online context. I mean, that game came out in like I think 04, 05 ish. Um, and uh, Guild Wars One wasn't an MMO. They even considered themselves uh, a Copergy, which was just like cooperative hmm. online RPG. No one ever used this term. <laughs> Copergy. Uh, yeah, no one ever cared about this term. Um, but I always maintained that. Morpurgy is a better term anyway because it was used before that on Neverwinter, actually the AOL version. Yeah. If you look and if you look it up, they called it a multiplayer online RPG, and that's because probably because they didn't know what else to call it at this time. But in my eyes, I was always like, all right, so the genre was created back then, and so so on, so on and so forth. These other games came out that weren't massive yet, but clearly, you know, could have been called maybe a Morpurgy. But I think actually a great example of that um, that typically gets considered one an MMO rather is uh, Fantasy Star. Fantasy Star, by most people who follow the game, even though it's a widely successful, popular game globally, but the people who follow it, like in in the know, know it's not an MMO. The way really? the game's designed, it only allows for like eight players in a, like a, a zone. So like it, it has like a hub zone, but it has a lot of features that MMOs have. But it, that's how it kind of tricks you. And I think that like a lot of these like MMOs, quote unquote, are kind of like more PGs in disguise, basically, where they never had to like. First off, they never realized what game they kind of were because they just looked yeah. at the MMORPG genre and were like, oh, we're just like there somewhat. But it's like, but what what number is considered massive? Is it 64 players? Because we already had that on consoles and yeah. you know other shooters. So it's like it has to be some higher number. But then obviously we're talking about, you know, what you mentioned earlier. It's true. A lot of these games are shrinking, but they're shrinking because it's better for them to shrink it. Like, for example, Final Fantasy 14 recently just had a crap ton of players join the game and it was getting like overwhelmed by players. So they had to lower the amount of players allowed concurrently on a server in order to allow them to, you know, function, you know, function the game better, basically. But that game shouldn't even have that problem when it should just introduce channels because it doesn't need to be. You don't need 100 players running around in the city. You know, that's useless in that game. It's literally useless. Yeah, I know that there's like been it's been a problem for a long time because graphics continue mm-hmm. to improve and and so requirements exactly. even to render one character uh, grows with the the power level of the computers. But I know like Guild Wars two, you can if you're really running into problems, you can like turn down every other character to like little hooded 
generic hooded people that are like low poly <laughs> just to kind of save your computer, things like that. That's uh, a great example, honestly, because yeah. that game's performance is absolutely horrible. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I've even like really high end computers. I've always had a little bit of time, a little bit of difficulty getting it above that. Not nearly as bad as plain, uh, Planet Side. That game was freaking awful. Um, when it, when it comes to rendering it or running it past like so-and-so players, but, uh, yeah, I, it must just have some sort of cap or something like that in the engine where it can't perform past a certain point. But, uh, yeah, there, there, it's tough because you want to get that kind of massive, uh, experience. Like how cool would it be to just like go through a city that looks just like, uh, you know, uh, something like, uh, Assassin's Creed where you've got just, uh, hundreds of townspeople just doing their own thing but doing that in a in a real in a, a real player environment would be just be a nightmare you know people would be bouncing off each other they'd be like lagging you know you'd get people colliding and animations wouldn't be smooth so it's 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 a challenge uh for sure but yeah th- there's a definite there isn't only a uh, uh a difference in in like framework like te- uh technical difference to support a 64 player game versus a you know 40,000 player game. There's also like a gameplay styles. Like I know that a lot of uh MMOs still have um like me- combat mechanics that were built for modems. You know, like uh th- th- essentially like the the combat style of EverQuest is still roughly the same to uh the combat style, you know, it's at least comparable to the combat style of Guild Wars 2 even after all this time because like lock on combat, you just you never you never lose a- an attack. It's reliable. If you lag out a little bit, no biggie. You still get those attacks in. So it's like it's you have to make certain kind of compromises to to contend with that. And uh, and I remember the conversation you told about over Discord where somebody was calling a four player co op RPG an MMO, and I'm just having that laughable because people uh, these genres have gotten so confused. Like uh, the controversy like a month ago when they really when they announced a new Metroid game, people are like, "Why is this new Metroid game an indie?" And like people are like the hell are you talking about <laughs> because people think that indie means like lower fidelity graphics or something like that and it's just like yeah a four-player mmo and an indie metroid game is now what we're we're dealing have to deal with in like 2021 <laughs> yeah and i think it's kind of like um the issue with the terms kind of losing cer- certain meaning or at least like certain terms losing losing meaning is that it makes the games worse like you know, my argument is basically like if you classify these two different types of game, because you're right, they do have different gameplay styles. For example, I can play SWOTOR, uh, Star Wars The Old Republic, and I can uh, play a game like uh, Guild Wars and even Final Fantasy XIV without ever interacting with any players around me. And so I just don't, I've never thought of an MMO as a game that I could basically ignore everyone around me because <laughs> I can't even do that in the real world. And so I always hearken things back to the real world. And you have to because it's an actual world it's and it's one that we know the best basically we have the most information about and so when you look at the real world you think uh, can, can you suddenly just like for example press channel two and like everyone in the room around you just disappears and like <laughs> you, you can't do that so that doesn't feel very massive and then like other elements are obviously um something you said earlier about having a certain amount of massive players or actors in like an environment Part of the interesting thing there is that it's it's basically just in a, a bit of an illusion. And what I mean is like it's more of like perception. So, for example, if you feel like something is massive, then you're going to think it's massive. Like, for example, if you're in a room of 10 people, sometimes I don't know about you, that feels massive to yeah, me. Right? It does. <laughs> sometimes when you're on a plane and there's like what, like 100 people or whatever, like on these big planes, like you feel like, man, it's a lot of people on this plane, dude. 
um, or like somewhere you're like in the airport. There's like hundreds of people. You're in a mall, right? These places feel hugely massive, but compared to like online games, they're they're not nearly as massive as we think of them as. But I think part of that is presence, and um, part of that is how these worlds feel. But something that you kind of said earlier about these games, or rather the players treating them more like games, um, is that's actually part of the problem. The players are the problem, and I think it's you know it's hard to make that argument because you're not very popular <laughs> amongst players because they're like, <laughs> why are you blaming us? But it's like, well, because you guys like this style of game in the very gamey worlds so much that you're just going to keep getting the gamey worlds and the non-risky ones. Whereas you know, like Richard Bartle says, like it's a bunch of novices right now, right now making virtual worlds, and it's because they actually are very difficult to make. Dude has a PhD in. Uh, artificial intelligence uh, and wrote the book on virtual uh, world. So it's like, it makes sense that he would be saying that, but he's right in the sense that if we keep looking at these RPGs in general, and obviously I'm talking more so about the online ones as just like games and not these kind of experiences and these transformative experiences that they can be and have been already, then we won't be capable of uh, doing more and more things uh, that are, I guess, impressive or innovative or whatever else. Yeah. And this has been a, a lot of problems. It's like a, it's it's almost like a I hate using the term, but there's no better term for it. It's a uh, what is it? Uh, Ludo narrative dissonance. I think that's the the term that people are throwing around. And it's worth a lot on Scrabble, but basically, it's the idea is the disconnect between uh, the the story or what the character's doing and the game, and and uh, basically like um, uh, it can be like self contained. Like the, a, a really famous example is the first. Uh, of the reboot uh, uh, Tomb Raider games is that you see the first time she kills somebody, she's like distraught and she's crying. And she's like, Oh my God, I took, I took a life. So-and-so and like, uh. and the next shot uh, and that next scene, literally she has to kill like 20 guys, you know, with it, with a knife and like bow and guns and stuff. And she's fine. So like, that was a bit of a disconnect, but like, I think that um, in a lot of RPGs, uh, uh, MMOs included is that the world doesn't, um, doesn't, keep enough tabs on the player so the player can just kind of go hog wild like you know even going back to like the original zelda is like well, what did we all do in zelda we go into the house we grab everybody's pottery and we break that shit and we, we go like look for rupees you know like what we just or you know we cut down everybody's trees and everybody's lawns and just like open up a chest in somebody's house like that was just what you do right and occasionally uh 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 you know a, a sly game developer would do like have a guy say hey that was mine but that's like the end of it, you know, right? But um, talking about RPGs, if you really want an RPG to kind of respond to the player, um, or especially an MMO, you could actually kind of, you could technically, it would be tough, but you could theoretically train the players to role play. So like, here's a couple of ideas that I had. Um, guards, for example. Um, couple, a couple uh, player characters just wandering around, jumping on like walls, you know, um, running into NPCs and and just like shouting at the top of their lungs about and how they want to sell so and so gear or looking for party or whatever, right? Guards are gonna be like you know, hey, you're loitering, you know, uh, go on, get, or I'll call the the guards, or like you know, hey, c- stop, stop shouting, or I'll I'll uh, put you in the I'll I'll put you behind bars or something like that. All of a sudden, players are like, oh, whoa, what? And then be like, uh, maybe we should go, you know, or maybe we should find something else to do so we don't attract more attention. You know, that, 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 even the, just that minimal level of interaction with the player, players would be like, oh, wait, yeah, it is kind of weird. I do kind of listen like a crazy person. Maybe I should, maybe I should go to the tavern. 
uh, um, you know, one, it's a very, very minor example, but everybody, uh, who references Deus Ex loves the, the example is that, um, you, you kind of go all out, just like I was talking about Link, just breaking the pots and stuff like that. Uh, in the first Deus Ex game, when you come back, when you go to the, uh, Uneco office for the first time, you can like, you know, talk to people, you can look through objects, you can throw coffee cups around or whatever, right? Most of that stuff isn't really uh, measured. I think if you throw something at somebody, they say like, hey, stop it or whatever, right? But the the famous example is that um, generally the players will just like check out every single room in case there's some great item they missed, including both bathrooms, both the male and the female bathrooms. Um, and if you go into the, uh, the, the female bathroom as JC Denton, a male, um uh you'll uh, you'll see a woman there is like what are you doing here right and then uh, later on the boss will take you aside is like and jc i ask if you please stay out of the woman's bathroom you know those like mention that to you casually and it's kind of like a way of the the game the game kind of telling us like hey come on you know uh stop stop being silly or whatever like you know it it, it kind of keep it kind of just kind of it lets you know that the game's like kind of watching you or or it, it's paying attention to what you're doing and I think uh, with enough of those sort of mechanics, not necessarily that ex- that example, but those kind of mechanics uh, stacked on could uh, potentially kind of train the player to act like their character. You know, if they're acting out of character, like uh, they do that a little bit in Assassin's Creed, actually, like if you just start climbing around on buildings uh, in public, people will be like, why is he doing that? You yeah, know? that's true. They're like, hey, what like, <laughs> like they, they do start saying stuff. The same thing kind of happens in like Hitman. Like if you suddenly start like hiding in the middle of people, people are like, what the yeah. huh? And like, they start like looking <laughs> and it's pretty weird sometimes. But um, I had two things that I wanted to say kind of regarding to that, or rather in response to that, which is the first one is part of it is that it's difficult to do that. I know from my understanding so far of like development is like you yeah. have these kind of things that are tracking on somebody that, you know, when, when an actor talks to them and a certain thing happens and like this progress, uh, you know, goes to another zone, like these types of like things that happen, like permanence and things that are basically like connecting from when you make a certain decision all the way to when you get to the end of the game, like that stuff gives programmers like nightmares still to this day in development. So I think that like there's some issues there of why we don't see it is like literal, like ability and like um, technical limitations to a certain extent. Um, But I also think, and this is where I'm going to be a little bit mean to certain developers. I also think people will say like, Oh, branching dialogue. It's so it's like, but it's not, it's not the hardest thing ever. It's just no. not that much fun to do. And it can be kind of like overwhelming after a while when you are handling so many branches of dialogue. But I was like, but I used to do branching dialogue when I was like 10 playing Neverwinter. Like you can do branching <laughs> dialogue. It's just more of like, you know, obviously it ends up being, especially for a programmer, they don't care about all the dialogue. So they're also like, no branching dialogue, you know, like, cause they don't, they don't want to have to deal with all the dialogue. And then the other thing is, is that I think a big reason why we see a lack of role play, especially in MMOs really is just because look at most of the MMOs and most of them are combat related. That's basically yeah. the only way you can play the game. And if you look at the best role playing MMOs, they had non-combat roles basically. So you yeah. can do things that weren't just fighting. And that's because that's more realistic as a martial artist in real life. I I've been doing it since I'm four. That's like, one percent of the population <laughs> less honestly <laughs> like it's such a small percentage of the population i never i was called like a tma kid like traditional martial art kid we were pretty rare we're like a pokemon like you you had to like track us down so like seeing like combat people being in such a small uh, percentage of the population now go into military that's like a certain percent of the population now the people who even like will touch a gun 
That's another percent of the population. How yeah. many people are just pacifists? How many people hate conflict? Yeah. Not even just fighting, but hate just like arguing. Uh, you know what I'm saying? And like, that's why these games like UO um, and uh, Galaxies basically did so well, uh, both designed by Raf Koster, an amazing role player and uh, purveyor of MUDs as well. So he had an understanding of how to create role playing environments. But um that was so key in these environments to create roles where you're not just fighting all the time. And it's, it, it drives me crazy because I actually would prefer a game like that myself because I do enough fighting in real life. When I play a game, sometimes I just want to do some life skills stuff. I just want to bang on a tree. And, you know, I mean, obviously RuneScape is popular for a reason, but in a more role play context <laughs> would be nice besides just endlessly <laughs> swinging at trees. Yeah, I always liked it when they uh, allowed you to do something that was required some sort of effort or some sort of skill that would also get you experience. Like a um, couple examples I can think of off the top of my head is like when I was playing Guild Wars 2, uh, one time I, I made a, those kind of Nord kind of characters. I've got the, like the tall, the tall uh, kind of Nordic characters. Um, and I, I, made it a, uh, I made it a mission that every single time I started, I would um, le- make my first level up by just exploring places. I'd go to like this node, explore that, go to this node, explore that, and I'd get the little experience bonus and bang, level two eventually. And it was like, hey, I didn't even fight a single guy and I'm level two. That's awesome. Uh, another example I thought of, um, I think it wasn't like a, a main class, it was like a subclass. I, I didn't get to play it, but a, a friend of mine played it. It was, uh, unfortunately, it, it, it didn't last too long, but a uh, Wildstar um that was supposed to be like the wow killer obviously didn't do that but uh i think it had like a a profession or something like that of uh i want to say historian where you could you would get so the way it worked is there's four there's four paths to progressing through the game's uh, worlds and zones one is exploring one's fighting one's crafting and the other was like i forgot what the other one was but that's what you're talking about basically yeah, and I, and I, if I if I recall correctly, like reading lore and stuff like that would get you experience bonuses. Mm-hmm. So like you could actually use that to supplement your experience and and things like that. Like I I love the idea that uh, that combat is not the exclusive uh, method of of progression. Um, you know, and, and it's true with a lot of like really uh, flexible games. Like, unfortunately, a lot of games are just like you know experience is gained at when this character dies which is just like really really limiting but um a lot of games like if you complete certain tasks you'll get a, a one a one-time uh, uh experience bonus or whatever which is really cool um some options in games like fallout uh arcanum is that you can be so persuasive and have such a high like charisma you can actually re- recruit like a few people to help protect you during fights so like you don't necessarily have to fight but they can fight for you so you could be like a super charismatic, um, you know, personality with a few bodyguards, essentially, or, you know, you can, uh, haggle your way to a certain thing, or you can be so persuasive that you'll be able to avert a particular battle or particular dungeon by just convincing the person to to do something else. So like Wasteland series is good at that too. Yeah. Really good at that. Yeah. Uh, Wasteland Three, I'm I'm really enjoying a lot more than Wasteland Two. Actually, uh, I don't uh, I haven't gotten all the way through it, but it it has a lot of those kind of you know completely different paths depending on the way you build your character, which I really appreciate. That you don't see that in many games nowadays outside of you know uh, outside of the Divinity series and you know Wasteland and maybe a few others. But that that's like that's that for me that's what an RPG is. Is like you're able to carve out your own path based on your choices or your character. Like my character. Um, what would my character do? I would try to talk the guy out of it. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pull my knife out. I try to talk them, talk the guy out of it. And, uh, if a game lets you do that and 
And sometimes when that actually works, you're like, wow, that actually worked. And you're actually surprised because not many games let you do that, you know, or if they do, it's, it's kind of trivial, like a mass effect kind of mass effects, another game, which, which I, I love the mass effects uh, trilogy, but the, it, it, it has the appearance of being a lot, a lot more choice, meaningful choice than it actually does. It's always uh, the same way, and it's one of my favorite series of yeah. games. And it's the exact same way, where it's like, tell someone, just go jump off this building. And it's like, that's like the choice. It's like, okay, with the dark side of the forest, I'll tell them to go jump off this building. That's like the choice or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And are like, uh, there are options where it's like, oh, you can push this guy out a window. That's freaking awesome. And I always do when I can, but it doesn't like really matter. Renegade. Yeah, the Renegade. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, there's even times where you can let an, a, a character die, but just like modern game design kind of dictates, they don't actually let that character die. He gets replaced with an identical character build <laughs> or, or something like that. You know, in, in, yep. it, I think that happens twice in the, in the series. It does, I, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Uh, and there are some like tragic, um, tragic things you can do, especially in the third game like beat the game for example but uh uh <laughs> but uh <laughs> no it was a tragedy <laughs> yeah that was a tragedy but um no there are like uh, some of the writing even in the third one is is really 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 great and some some of the uh, ends of certain characters are really well done but it, it's 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 disappointing when, when there's so many it's like oh it, it it's a, it's like a cosmetic consequence i think we even talked about this before uh, I, I believe so but like we did because I think we talked about um, one of my favorite games, or at least the game that I'm like, I, I love so much, but I kind of hate because I hate that the third game was way more famous and popular. And it's Witcher series. Like, it was a Witcher series. You're yeah. talking about like, like a game that like basically what type of action adventure game also has so much choice and narrative. And in my head, I was thinking like what well, Witcher 2 does. And that's why I loved it so much, because like that game literally requires you to like pause, read the fucking lore and be like, OK, who's here? Like what faction is there? Like. You know, like, who am I helping with this decision? Like, you had to really start to think about, like, the political situation. But then you get into the third game, and it's just like you said. It's like suddenly, like, none of these decisions literally matter except, like, a couple of them. And it's just like, okay, so... Like, yeah. It's like, you know, masquerading, basically. Yeah, and they're they're super well-acted, super well-written, you know, mo-capped and everything like that. And it's really engaging. But uh, in the end, it's like... Uh, it's almost like that meme. Uh, the the poster child for this meme is is obviously Fallout Four because it had the famous like four four option uh, you know yeah, dialogue thing, and it was like you know yes, uh, no, but later yes, you know sarcastic yes, <laughs> yes later or whatever. Uh, and and you know that, that's not that, that's not what the actual game said, but essentially it's what it meant. You know, like you couldn't refuse this person basically like mm-hmm. you, you would eventually be working for them whether you want to or not you could and that's disappointing like I, I miss the kind of the wasteland responses the fault responses even like like the you know some of the early elder schools responses where you can just like you know you know screw you pull out pulls out weapon or you know uh try to lie to them you know uh a, a really really good game as far as just non-combat options like you said was uh disco elysium which just had lots and lots of zany zany options like uh you know uh you can when somebody demands money you can pretend not to remember what money is like that's one of my favorite examples early on it's just like so what exactly is money like things like that and and it's just they're 
maybe that'll work. Who knows? You know, it's, it's, and, and yeah, that gets, I've, I've, um, I've looked at game design, um, aid software, like, um, I think artisty draft is one, uh, program and I've, I've, uh, tried it out and stuff like that. That's like a one, one tool you can use to kind of map out dialogue paths and branching story and everything like that. It can get mind boggling. I'm not saying it's easy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's yeah, what, that's why sure. I'm, I'm almost thinking technology like AI dungeon can kind of come in to kind of fill the blanks. So where you might ha- write a grander narrative, maybe some sort of AI or uh framework can kind of um, use like maybe, Maybe you could each character you could develop a a certain speech pattern for, and the AI could kind of utilize that speech pattern and fill in the blanks for all for if somebody tries to do something unexpected. Like I, I don't, enjoy, I'm just thinking of other ideas. Well, obviously, when you add four times the options, you you need to build out four times the scenarios. There's no two ways about it. But uh, I'm hoping that somebody can kind of use modern technology, maybe AI or something like that, to kind of uh, just completely, uh, you know, make the game just completely linear. I don't know. We'll have to see, I guess. And I think a big part of that too is really trying to, like you said, like with the funnel thing, is like putting all the big decisions as like the main choice makers. I actually think that that's kind of a bad idea. Like, yeah. And I mean, it's not how I approach it in my game design. It's like I'd rather you have like small options that are like like kind of like you said earlier that are like maybe limited time or like rare or maybe like you could fuck it up for example like and actually fail which ma- main quest you typically can't fail because like the game would just you know end or whatever like you know it was kind of like in um, Morrowind you've disrupted the fabric <laughs> of time by killing this NPC you have to go back like you'd have to do it in a way like that where you basically have to tell them look you literally just like ended your game <laughs> without really realizing it um but like divinity does a great job of that um you mentioned that earlier as a good example of the game but like divinity does a great job where in the first like fort you know city or whatever like you can just like kill everybody like yeah you just kill everybody and um that it seems so like absurd and silly but that's what i loved about neverwinter was actually i love these aspects of being able to essentially uh um fail really like in fact i have mentioned uh, this example on my my channel before but one of my favorite examples is on the expansion of neverwinter nights where you're, in, you're interacting with this wizard and they tell you like this wizard is super powerful be careful you need this wizard's help they're going to teleport you out of the underdark or whatever and so you're like talking to like the wizard and there's a moment where you can just say arrogantly like Eh, I don't really think you're that powerful. And then like literally like a cutscene happens and he just like casts like a spell of like death right at you. And it, you just like literally explode and it says game over and it makes you choose your save again. So I was like, huh? So I went back and I tried another one. Sure enough, he has like the same kind of response. So I'm like, all right, well, maybe I shouldn't piss this guy off. Uh, and so sure enough, I, I stopped doing that. But uh, stuff like that is, you know, possible. It was possible back then. But it's better that kind of choice i think it's much better than being like do you choose the green ending or the blue ending or you know or this or like do you choose to save the citadel or the council and then i like replace all the council members and he would like me i like i had like the council members killed my first time because i was like super human centric and then like when they replaced them all i was just like why would i ever do that again you know like they literally made it just like pointless anyway that's side tangent but yeah no i like it when uh when games have like a it's an, you can kind of consider them like fake endings, but uh, 
you know, in games that you just kind of, you know, what if, what if I, I, instead of just going toward that military base, I just walk away and drive away instead. And it's like, oh, you know, he went to, he decided to drive away and abandon his girlfriend, you know, the end. And it's like, those are always fun. Uh, but like, if they just like took those kind of things a step further where there's a potential, you know, maybe, maybe you did, you uh, pissed off this wizard and he did like zap you and cast you off the, the cliff or whatever. And then maybe you wake up later and you're like, oh man. Uh, I, I'm like half dead and and uh, crawling out, out of this body of corpses that this wizard like threw off the, cl- the edge of the cliff or whatever, and uh, maybe that could be uh, you know a seed for another story or whatever you know like it, I I love the idea that that you could get you could uh, just kind of like let's roll with that you know and as I've been I've been playing a lot of D and D with friends you know over the past few years and and it's just amazing that uh, there the word no really doesn't exist in tabletop role game role playing like it, it you know there if you have a, a dm uh, a good dm like there really is no reason for them to refuse uh, a character's action even if that action record results in them all dying a horrific death you know it should it sh- should have that option it's like um yeah I, I i poke the sleeping dragon in the eyeball you know it's like you poke the sleeping dragon in the eyeball you know <laughs> roll initiative you know like that that everything should potentially be an option and and the unfortunate fact of computer games is everything has to be programmed and scripted beforehand. So like it, it's obviously a challenge, but um, I think we're seeing more games that like a uh, survival, uh, survival sandbox games, things like that, that are more about, you know, player freedom and things like that. Like anything's possible. So um, yeah, no, it, 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 it's, 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 it's definitely a dream, but, uh, and we've seen it, we've seen it here and there. Like we can, we've seen modern examples like a, uh, I don't know if you ever got to play the uh, the Wasteland. Uh, you played Wasteland three, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Like that that game has some of those kind of fun options where you can just like tell somebody off, and if you've got a high enough uh, their equivalent of the the uh, intimidate skill, you it's like, oh, okay, hmm, sorry, sorry for bothering you. You know, you can you can kind of get that response. Yeah, uh, and I think maybe like, and this is like maybe a discussion for another time, but some of it is like even these narrative things, like. Some of the RPGs back in the day, like Arcanum, I think is a great example. And it's actually something yeah. that I like. Arcanum is like a spiritual, I should say it's like a huge inspiration for the project I'm creating because I just love it so much. But um, I love a specific aspect about it, which is how I love uh, this divide between technology and magic and yeah. how it's baked into the game and the game's design. And I love that as a player, you're subjected to that and basically whatever your decisions are. And like in modern, you know, game design in many casual games, as you would probably agree, they wouldn't really go for something like that. Cause it's so controversial to be like, suddenly like you're doing something wrong. People hate being told that like, yeah. <laughs> they're like, Oh no, like I picked the wrong one. They want to like go back and make another one or whatever. But like, uh, there's also just an element of like, um, they were willing to kind of tackle some of these more mature themes that are like very controversial. Like for example, EverQuest is a great example where like um, if you play as a dark elf in that game, (laughs) they're literally racist against you. Like for example, like humans, they cannot stand you. The guards, if you inspect them, will say like scowls at you, which tells you in that game that they'll attack you on site. And it'll also tell you like, what's the, 
difficulty level and it'll say like sure defeat or whatever so like you can see like will they attack you yes will they beat you easily yes and um when you play as a dark elf in everquest you literally have to hide even if yeah. you play in the city you have to hide and like play and it's very risky and so that stuff is so controversial and even things like race and being racist in a game is controversial but it does really create these amazing role play experiences that was actually one of my favorite experiences in EverQuest was I I usually played on a non-PVP server, but I jumped on with a, a, a couple friends on a, a PVP server once and started as a Dark Elf um, and made my all, all my way over to Freeport and snuck all my way there. And then um, I had to like hide in the in the slums and make sure I kept out of eyesight of the guards because they would attack me on site. And I just love that, that aspect. It actually reminds me a lot of uh, playing a... Uh, a uh, Nosferatu in uh, Vampire the Masquerade yeah, Bloodlines yeah, is exactly. that you have to like stick to the sewers, go through the alleyways. And that's actually a very mm-hmm. small game world, but just imagine that like 10X where you actually had a whole sprawling city you could explore and you had to find creative ways like jumping from, you know, fire escape to fire escape or, you know, alleyways or whatever, or maybe using temporary magic to like, you know, obfuscate you as you, as you like sneak across a, a crosswalk or something like that. I love that that aspect of games where, like, realistically, they they hit you. That you know, you see some monster in the street in the middle of the night attack you. you think you weren't sure if it was like a, you know, a guy had rabies or you know, is you know, is <laughs> some sort of addict who's kind of coming at you. You know, you don't know, and and naturally the police goes like, ah, monster, and starts shooting you or something like that. You know, uh, so it's a really it's a really interesting. Uh, it really reinforces the how the world would be, you know, in that sort of fantasy environment. And and you can, if you do it well enough, you can totally accept that there's vampires and there's orcs and there's the Alliance and the Horde or whatever, uh, because the world itself is consistent. And I, I think a lot yeah. of, I think a lot of those really interesting, like you said, controversial decisions um, fall by the wayside because oh, play we, we've we've uh, you know tested this with uh, our group and players didn't really like that, and it's like uh too bad <laughs> you know it's, that's kind of why it works you know it's like the same thing people talk about like um oh i hate this character and i'm just like no you love that character but you hate their character you know what i'm saying like it's like yeah. for example when joffrey was getting like death threats and stuff it's just sometimes you forget that some people real don't or like don't realize it's actually not real so yeah like maybe some people suffer from it but like but they also love that stuff they love how like mad you get at this character and like so people love characters that they hate at the same time and i think it's kind of like one thing that like uh, marvel's done really well with like one of my favorite villains ever uh, magneto which is like constantly yeah. give him these arcs that make him very lovable <laughs> yeah. and like let everyone down at the end so you're like no magneto you were so close and then this thing goes but then you like feel for magneto at the same time um i think like there's certainly some aspects of being willing to to take a certain risk. But I also think uh, you bring up a good point about like having a poll group might tell you like, okay, well, like I don't want this aspect cause it's too controversial. Yeah. But like, but you're probably going to get told that by some people. And I think that that's like where the, uh, uh, the difficulty comes from is like, you know, everyone loves using dark souls as an example, but it is a great example of like, we used to think that like, you can't make a game with combat. That's just too hard. It just won't work. Right. And then it's like, yes, other games like this existed, but like we, you know, when dark souls did it and then got really, you know, big and, and successful, we were like, okay, so it actually is possible. We just hadn't really done it. Right. So it's definitely possible. Um, but, um, I think that maybe we haven't been attempting it as much because kind of like what you said, maybe people were just like, oh, well, 
you know, this this story has been attempted before, but I think that there's many more ways we can handle, for example, the divide between magic or technology and how you have to choose between this like divide or whatever else. And but it actually has some kind of long lasting consequence or even just to give Fallout New Vegas some credit, even what they did in that game, which is allow you to at different points of the game say that you don't want to work with this faction anymore and then suddenly yeah. you can work with this other faction and even just like small things like that gave people such a positive perception of that game still to this day people are like man fallout new vegas there's so many choices and i was like technically <laughs> there actually isn't like i've looked yeah. into them all the- there really isn't that many but like if you lay them all out there is a lot like there's a lot going on and so you feel like you have so many you know choices or whatever yeah at least the you know comparatively to a lot of games now which don't really offer that many meaningful choices but uh yeah no i i love arcanum's uh setting i I actually uh worked on a a kind of spiritual successor tabletop rpg for about a year or two um intended to be like a successor to arcanum um and i was trying to figure out the mechanics of it too like uh uh, yeah, the the thing that got that uh, really stumped me was the uh, the the core mechanic, which or that core thing, which was the technology versus uh, uh, magic, and and the solutions that I juggled with. Um, obviously, with a computer RPG, you can do all this stuff completely invisibly with code. But um, I was trying to think of how to do it. It's actually a really good practice too. I've heard that uh, Interplay and a lot of other like devs, like uh, former Obsidian devs and stuff like that. Um, or would like write everything on paper and try it out on paper before implementing it into the game to see if it works. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it's very common in certain prototyping of games, like very mechanical games, like yeah. like a chess-based type of game or like a card game. For example, Hearthstone was prototyped, yeah. uh, you know, just by drawing, you know, it basically. Yeah, I mean, if you can, if you can get that to work with paper, then then you can uh, just send the schematics essentially to your your developers, and they could actually put it in stuff well, why waste hundreds of hours of coding time you know debugging something you can just do with little literal cards it's a card game but uh yeah the the what i had thought might work um i wasn't entirely happy of how arcanum the game uh did that because it basically just made it so like you had a proc chance of just blocking something you know like uh, i don't know if you i i if you ever played a uh, a technological guy and you had um i forget his name but the the first guy you meet he's a healer uh follow you around um he'd be like heal 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 block 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 like he'd you'd just like block half of his heals because you had a technical alignment and i was like mm, that's it that makes sense i guess but it's it's just not really satisfying so trying to make like a mechanic that would actually be satisfying for that my idea, and I was this is again for a tabletop game, so I had to use like real objects and keep manage it or whatever. But my idea mm-hmm. uh, was to have like a, a pool. Um, I'd have like three types of tokens. I'd have neutral tokens. I'd have um, technical tokens and magic tokens. And uh, based on the environment, like if you're in a factory, for example, you would you would uh, create a base pool of like five uh, technical tokens and like three. Uh, neutral tokens whatever there's a lot of technology going on so um what would happen is like uh if you ever cast a spell depending on the power of the spell you would throw magic tokens into the uh this like bowl or whatever shuffle it around and pull a token and that would be your like your chance or your your effect right but the more magic you casted you'd be putting more magic tokens into that bowl and you'd be kind of uh changing the ecosystem of that bowl of tokens or the more 
you know, technical abilities. Like if I say a robot comes in, that would add something to the pool, whatever technical it's, you can get mired into the, the mechanics of it, but something like that would be interesting. So like if you cast a spell and you pull them at a technical token, you would get a sort of negative effect that could just be like a, 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 you know, less accurate or less damage, or it could potentially be like a wildly negative effect. Like you accidentally shoot your fireball on it, like ricochets and, and goes flying some other direction or blows up in your face or something like that. Like it would at least, it would, it would show some sort of like uh negative uh, or unpredictable uh, reaction to that and the, and vice versa with the technical thing. Like you try to, you try to like start up your, your flamethrower in it in the middle of uh, the mages school and the flamethrower is like overheats and like, you know, start, and the fire starts like blowing up, you know, spraying uh, napalm everywhere. Or, you know, maybe it just like, you know, puffs a, 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 a little bit of smoke and nothing comes out or something like that. Like, I find that super interesting, but it's hard to make that satisfying. <laughs> so that was one part I got stumped, uh, stumped on. But I, I'm really interested to see how you're able to pull it off. I'd be really curious to see how you do it. Yeah, I definitely think it's like there's like from when I've studied like uh, tabletop games, even just like um, chess and stuff like that, like go, taking that into a div- digital format, like it really like card games, TCGs, it really does change a lot of aspects of it. <clears throat> and I think in, in my case, like um, obviously I'm using a lot of examples that have already been around for a long time, like Secret of Mana, um, uh, which that game. have, you know, RPG aspects, but they're they're a lot more humble in terms of like choice, right? Like there's yeah. not like a whole lot of choice going on. So it definitely, I'm not creating a game that has that as much as it has choice in the sense that if when you play a quest or play a storyline, there's definitely going to be different levels of it. And I think that's always something that I've been very kind of obsessed about RPG wise is that like having kind of like different ways to fail or succeed a mission, I think matters more to people than just straight failing or like not succeeding. For example, like let's say like you did something good, but like you like mess something up about it. Like, I think that's a better experience to go through than just being like, if you didn't do this one thing, then you just fail and you totally fail. Maybe sometimes do it that way. But I think that that just straight you fail. People feel like, Oh, I don't want to do this quest anymore, you know, because then I feel like it's just going to be some kind of negative aspect. And so I, I like to give players the feeling to, uh, like they want to affect choice and not just feel afraid of it because actually people like my fiance are the kind of people who say, Oh, too much choice. Like I get scared. Like, you know, I get overwhelmed with choice. You know, what do I do? So I like to offer those kinds of paths for people who are also like, okay, well I messed this part up, but the game doesn't suddenly end. Right. Like I can still kind of go on, but it maybe changes some aspects of the you know the story a little bit more so it's maybe it doesn't give me a certain item or it doesn't give me a certain access to a character or whatever like that yeah like uh, uh i don't know who said this or if i just came with myself but there's nothing more boring than a miss like just you know, like just like you said a failure is like the most un uninteresting uncreative uh ending to anything like that like instead of having a failure maybe maybe there it causes something else like a you know uh, oh, you, you, uh, aim your, you aim your gun, you fire, um, it doesn't hit your target. It bounces off his pauldron, uh, and hits a nearby, uh, gas lantern and starts, starts a fire. You know, it's like, oh, wow. Okay. All of a sudden this is now interesting. We now have a, the rooms on fire now, you know, something like that is much more interesting than just, oh, you miss them, you know? So like, uh, yeah, you're coming up with those interesting, uh, satisfying, uh, kind of, reactions or or alternatives to just like nope you fail nope you fail nope you fail kind of thing is is always a challenge 
Um, and that's probably the biggest challenge for that mechanic, which is essentially just, you know, magic doesn't work well in a technological environment and vice versa. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm super curious of how you pull that off. Um, something else, I, I, I forgot which topic we're talking before, Arcanum and, and those things, but I had something else to say about that. But uh, yeah, I mean, um, there's different styles of RPG. Like I, I, I love, you know, just the hack and slash of something like Diablo, but doesn't really have much choice. And you get games like, you know, uh, like we said, especially games like uh, Disco Elysium, which are all about like choice and, and, you know, arguing with yourself in your head and, and uh, dialogue and, and mental skills and things like that. Um, not so much on, on the fighting, but uh but I like those games too. Like Disco Elysium is a great example because like, I think part of the issue that people have with games that have choices, like they can't get into their character because they try to be too cool. And this is yeah. actually something that happens in real life a lot. If you see people role play, they try to be too cool and they can't really get into the character. Something I love about like Disco Elysium is that the character is so kind of <laughs> really you're arguing <laughs> with yourself all of the time that yeah. it's like, you feel like, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. It's hard to explain it, but it feels like whenever you do have moments, you're more of like, what the heck am I saying? Like you're almost reacting to yourself. And that in itself is an RPG experience. Um, because I don't know about you, but I've played it multiple times with different kind of stats and I've loved to see just how I react in certain cases yeah. <laughs> and then see how I react in other ways. But that in itself is also an experience versus also progressing through the game you know which is to me that's rpg through and through right where i'm not even just focused on the main narrative i'm also thinking like wait let me reload this one conversation again because i'm kind of curious if i if i could actually punch what's his name in the face or knee what's his name in the face up on top of that uh building <laughs> he's like blocking you and you have to like convince him to like what was it like you have to like convince him like communism is like not in the best interest of something or or you have to punch him in the face or something like that. it's like pretty silly but it's uh that game does a great job of that stuff yeah yeah it's 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 great when you have all those options and they obviously had to write a ton a ton of dialogue to make all of those interesting but uh and they went back and even did a voiceover too yeah. which is pretty nuts we i mean you don't really ever see that honestly no, no, no. I think that even just a narrator voiceover can do so much. I love the vo the narrator in uh, the Divinity games. I think that oh, adds, yeah. a, adds a lot lot to it because I don't mind reading, but uh, just having a, a good narrator like speaking in a third person or whatever. I actually tried when I was working on a, with some people on an RPG project, I was trying to uh, see if uh, text-to-speech got good enough to be able to do that because imagine if you could have you know, really, really dynamic, uh, dialogues saying like, Hey, uh, nerd slayer that, that mission you did up in, you know, blank, uh, with blank, blank and blank really turned out blank. I, uh, I'm extremely upset with you and I have all those actually filled out with things you did and, and choices you made along the way, but in actual voiced speech, that'd be super cool. And Technology's not quite there yet. It's definitely better than it was uh, 10, 20 years ago, for sure. It almost sounds like a real person, but once they're able to nail that, like actually have really realistic synthesized speech, I think that could be a real game changer. If even just from a narrator perspective, just a narrator saying as a third person, like, you know, and he walked over to you and smacked you, so-and-so, you know, what do you do? Like, something like that would be a great help because a lot, I know a lot of games, a lot of people have a hard time just staring at that wall of text all the time. I mean, uh, I, I know I do sometimes unless the, unless the game is extremely well written. I usually have a hard time with that, but 
Do you remember, um, and I, obviously it was a huge flop, but like the game Breach, that was like ex-Bioware developers where it was supposed to be like basically like a, an asymmetric multiplayer game, four versus one. Um, it, it never got any coverage and died pretty quickly, but um, it was like a dungeon crawl, like action slash kind of like online RPG type game where you could play with other players and attempt to get through like dungeons and fight against bosses and people could play as the boss uh, or the DM, for example. Um, I was going to say that like games like that um, have been attempted, but usually have failed. But I actually think that like, for example, a game like that could spice things up roleplay wise because they put more of a direct position or power into the DM's hand. And that's actually a big reason why I'm very critical of developers and MMOs is that most of the time that like MMOs fail, it's because developers, uh, uh, simply speaking, aren't interactive enough. But part of the reason that they aren't, and this part's kind of, you know, a double-edged sword, is because they don't want to take a bunch of heat, basically, for making a certain big decision. And so sometimes there's yeah. this element of, like, if I'm the one that's, like, responsible for this, I don't want to be the one to stake my name on it or whatever. But, like, um, uh, where was I going before that? Um but with uh, Breach, like it, it definitely failed and it didn't work. But like if an MMO had more characters or DMs or dungeon masters or basically people who can create actors, uh, people who can create content um, actually affecting levers and changing the world or the environment, then theoretically more of these kinds of like D&D type stories could take place. Right. But that's the issue is that most developers take hands off approaches. In fact, that's why they like online games. Uh, so much because they can in a sense just be like all right you put it up and then you just kind of like you know now you just let uh the rest of the players figure everything else out they don't want to get in there and actually affect the change themselves and because you have to in my opinion in order to uh create these better experiences but there's this element of like why don't people want to change it i think it's because you look at our world and like who's changing the seasons nobody is but i mean something somebody how, however you see the world higher power so on and so forth something is and it's not a computer program at least that we know of a uh, simulation program that we know of but you get what i'm saying so like somebody is changing these factors and in the video game um developers are hesitant to want to change these things and don't have enough uh quality or i guess like artificial ai or like levers that are taking place that are simulations or, or kind of more like a simulation yeah. where it can just change, you know what I'm saying on its own. Like you were kind of saying earlier, actually, but like the dialogue and like creating like a, I think like AI creating like a dungeon or something like that, like that could theoretically end up being possible later on. Yeah. You know, it's absolutely possible. I mean, I, I've, I've uh, seen this one tech demo. It was insane. Actually. Uh, I follow a person on Twitter where they have a completely procedurally generated city. You can walk endlessly through. It's got, it's got ramps, it's got stairwells, it's got uh, buildings, it's got doors, it's got uh, several layers of, of the city like that. All that stuff is potentially possible, and I've seen prototypes of it. It's just, uh, it, I'm sure it's difficult to to put into a, a game and then add, you know, a bunch of actual <laughs> gameplay mechanics on top of that. It's a, a lot well, of AI is still an online RPG static, so how are we going to get to <laughs> these other places that we want to get? when we don't even have AI that can have a regular patrol pattern, really, you know, like past, yeah. like just being like, go here and go there and attack anything that's red. You know, like we have that, we've had those AI for a while, but um, we don't have other ones who are kind of like certain levers and systems are kind of taking place with the The AI really needs to come alive. And I think that's, what's missing is the AI needs to come alive. And um, there's two things there. One, like 
we have actually some great original examples to go back to EverQuest. I've played Project 1999, and it's actually a great example where there's certain people in the game, um, NPCs that you have to talk to, as you know, uh, probably from watching or playing the game yourself, but like you have to actually talk, like literally type to them. And so when you say certain keywords, it triggers like a certain quest. And so in a sense, you have to actually engage with these NPCs. And I think that that's so important because like you were saying earlier about teaching you how to role play, that's kind of what that does is it teaches you like, how do I talk to this you know, NPC or like, <laughs> interact with this certain character? So I think that's an element of it. Um, you know, more stuff like that, obviously, besides what I said earlier about the technology thing, but actually like totally randomly, but I've been pretty much considering finishing my degree in artificial intelligence because I've gotten to the point to where I'm just like, you know what? <laughs> I think I need to learn artificial intelligence myself because, uh, yeah, it's something that's like very complicated. And I would say from my experience in working on private servers and online games, even just so far, and also consulting with people who do, um, it's probably like the least like innovated part right now i would yeah. say is like is the ai so i actually so much so want to study ai myself literally because i feel like it's like it's that much of like a um a big deal really obviously everyone can think of like ai being super because they can do the scary possibilities i mean look at like the the back uh uh shot for example you have some great examples of like ai <laughs> going like you know yeah. what i mean but like <laughs> But but even just on a basic like game level, AI is still not really, you know, where it could be. And I think that if it gets there, we'll have these role play experiences that are capable without having to have a player create them for you, which is the problem, really. Yeah, it is the problem. It's just too much too much work to to actually exactly. script out each person. Like they've tried to do that in a scripted format. Mm -hmm. Like a, a a good example that I I like to refer to is um this was years ago, but the original um uh, Shenmue game, they actually gave like night and day patterns to each and every character. This is even before Arcanum, which also had that. Um, and like I, one, t one time on stream, I was just, uh, the, the burger guy, I think, uh, I was just, uh, talking to him and then at, at like six or seven o'clock, he closes down shop. Then instead of walking to his home, he actually walks and zones into his, uh, the quickie mart and buys some things. And you end up seeing him zone out again and he's carrying bags to his house like he went shopping and then he on his way back home and it's like that's so neat but that was obviously all scripted um but i think that ai is probably the single uh most important thing to advanced uh video games at this point like between ai and procedural generation because like uh if you've ever tried out ai dungeon i really recommend uh checking that out just seeing what it can do but you basically can feed it a few sentences and it, it's a it's like almost like a predictive it's almost like a really really advanced predictive uh uh like sentence completer but it mm. will you can like basically feed it, it's like okay i'm a i'm an adventurer in the land of tiriath um and i'm a, and my long lost love was kidnapped by the goblin king uh duganoth and then you just and then it's like okay and it'll generate a whole it'll generate a whole paragraph like so and so you're walking through the forest and so and so and then somebody says like hey you uh, what is your name? And you're like, oh, I'm so-and-so, you know, I will go slay, slay Duganoth. And it's like, well, Duganoth is really powerful. Didn't you know that? And it's like literal, like actual, um, sometimes, uh, you can, it, it, sometimes the writing is actually fairly good and it'll actually like generate all these scenarios or like, he says like, well, or he might say like, well, I'm actually a follower of Duganoth prepared to prepare for battle or whatever. And it'll create all this stuff completely out of, out of the air, just based on your feedback. So imagine if you could take that 
in, in text form and turn that into translate that into like game mechanics somehow like you know into an actual game where your actions and and everything you do just generate com- complete scenarios out of the ether based on ai alone like that would that that's not too that's not too impossible i don't think i, I just obviously it would be it'd be tricky to do for sure but i i think the i think the the groundwork is there um your your comment about how ai in video games is it, how it's so lackluster really reminds me of um this talk that Bruce Nesmith uh, did uh, years ago, he's actually one of the lead designers of Skyrim. He's been doing, uh, he actually worked for TSR back in the day, he did uh, RPGs and tabletop stuff since the 80s, and then worked on the Elder Scrolls games. Um, really cool guy. Uh, he was talking about some of the uh, issues he had with Skyrim, because Skyrim was supposed to come out with a revolutionary AI system. Actually, Oblivion was, but they kind of canned it, and then Skyrim was going to do like a revolutionary quest system slash AI and he was talking about some of the challenges and i almost think that uh, and he actually completely comes out and says it that ai is held back because when you crank up the autonomy uh, that's such a hard word to say it's autonomous agents <laughs> yeah uh, uh anonymity i think it is what to say uh, 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 yeah. uh anonymity anonymity something like that yeah well, that that, yeah. that word there um <laughs> uh, of the npcs crazy things start to happen uh they i i, I want to say it's this talk autonomy maybe, is what what someone else is saying autonomy yeah there you go that i was making it there more complicated go. yeah he was saying that like her no that might have been paul that might have been peter uh, Molyneux saying that and when he was developing fable they tried a bunch of crazy stuff too he said that npcs started to try to complete the main quest on their own <laughs> without the player <laughs> um i think bruce nesmith was saying that uh they had a bunch of like uh, reaction scripts and stuff like that built into HNPC. So like whenever the player was like, Oh, I'm pretty encumbered. And they just like toss some iron sword or whatever. Um, all the, all the NPCs would like come running out. It's like, what is this item? And they like start talking to each other about it and fighting and doing all sorts of stuff. And it got almost overwhelming the amount of reaction you got from just trivial actions. And so like, okay, cut all that out. That's too much. It's just too distracting, but it's almost like, um, it's like if you if you just flip that switch on a little bit too much without without creating a bunch of caveats and like you know machine learning and stuff, you could potentially create like insane insanely huge problems <laughs> because NBCs all of a sudden react to everything. It's like you know you, you just drop a couple coins in the ground and all of a sudden you you, you know World War Three rages on in the town or whatever. It's Even just, simple AI can be terrifying. So I have an anecdote yeah. to talk about where I worked on a private server. <laughs> in rust so rust uh there's a private server we, we were making that was kind of supposed to be like a basically like an mmo rust server or more like a morpage rust server yeah. and one big thing that we had in that game was uh, actually roaming ai and so we kind of came up with like roaming ai in a sense in that game that was very simplistic just using the base ai of one of the murderer uh, npcs which was just an npc that would just chase you down so we took this like base ai and then basically took it and said okay let's give it a wider radius and let's also give it the ability to like pick things up so like what it'll do is like walk around look at things like pick things up and then it'll like see you and chase you down try to kill you um well what's crazy about this is like we put so much work and time into them and even their costumes that players thought they're real and they still <laughs> think to this day they're real sometimes whenever they're engaging with them and that's because we tried to make them look as real as possible so that's the thing is is like that's the future is making ai that when you're playing in a multiplayer environment you don't even know if that's a player or not in fact you might treat that person like a player and it's not a player 
but in reality it starts running at you and swinging at you or attacking you and you're like oh crap okay that's not a player but maybe it is a player as well because a player could do that potentially as well so there's some elements of like um you know what is that but there's also elements of horror that even just a basic ai that we gave the ability to kind of roam around had this like murderer kind of feeling where we would watch players and mainly me where i would just go around and like with my admin camera and i would just watch (laughs) how players would treat certain interactions and it always like bewildered me and surprised me how many of them would just avoid conflict altogether and i thought that that was just so interesting that in a game like that they would just be like okay i'm not going to engage with because they didn't know if it was a player or not so because they thought it was a player they were afraid (laughs) yeah that's awesome that reminds me actually a really underrated um mode Uh, i think as far early as Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, they introduced a sort of uh, kind of assassin multiplayer PvP mode, and I actually really liked it. Um, I don't know if you ever got to play it, but basically uh, it was really simple. You'd have like a, a, a reasonably sized chunk of city, and each player would pick um, uh, a player, like a, a look, like you'd be like a, a plague doctor or a merchant or whatever, right? And uh, you had to be a unique, unique player, right? Because you would also, in, in the world, would be populated with like uh, 100 or 200 um, NPCs, right? And NPCs would look exactly like the players. So if you played a Plague Doctor, there'd be uh, dozens of other Plague Doctors in the city that look exactly like you. And, gotcha. it, and there'd be dozens of other merchants and et cetera, right? And uh, the cool thing about that is that you're given a very, a very uh, wide um navigation that doesn't give you an it gives you a, a direction and eventually it gives you an area like a radius of where uh a player uh, your your target is and you have to tell out of the crowd which one is the real person and not not the AI. and it was actually really difficult because they'd be doing their their own things they'd be walking around you know walking upstairs stopping looking around just like a player would right and uh, on top of that, you had a you had a mark that you had to go after, and every other player had a mark that it was going after you. So you had to not only look for who you're going to kill, but who was killing you as well. So you were like super double paranoid. You're like, okay, in this crowd, there's like you know four or five of these guys. They all look very similar, and you, and you'd get like a you you would uh, fail your mission if you killed the wrong person, right? But you'd also be like looking at the corner of your eye for somebody else looking for you. So you're uh, not only trying to blend in with the crowd, but you're trying to find out somebody else who's blending with the crowd, <laughs> you know, preventing somebody else who's trying to kill you. So it was a really, really interesting, very similar to what you're talking about, a uh, way of like creating realistic uh, acting NPCs that could be mistaken for humans. And I think that's a super interesting idea that you could really bl- it seamlessly blend, uh, you know, an RPG with an, a multiplayer experience with, because you wouldn't necessarily know this person could be, uh, could have been an AI all along and you have no idea. Yeah, and a big reason why it's missing too, it's such a simple reason, and it's actually something that I'm like super passionate about. It's nameplates. It's yeah. like MMOs just have nameplates everywhere and show you where everyone is all the time. And so like there's never this moment of like, what is this? And I feel like that's severely lacking there. But anyway, don't get me started on nameplates. Yeah, I think we had the same conversation last time I was on your, your podcast. And it's like I cried about nameplates. nameplates for a while. Yeah, they really irritate me. Like 
almost every time I'll look at a game like, oh, this looks so interesting. And then I see like nameplates and a really ugly, ugly UI. And I'm like, I have no interest in this game. <laughs> it just totally takes everything away, especially when it's like bad in the sense of like, you know, like a game like New World that's, you know, in closed beta right now. It does a good job of like where it ha- it'll have like certain nameplates, but like you have to be close enough. And like there's a certain level of stealth where you can't see unless you like really look at someone's direction, at least. So like, there's an element of it. But most of the time, you can just straight press tab in a game, right? Or you can just like look around and suddenly you see everyone's name pasted everywhere. And it's yeah. just crazy that like people created like fake stealth where you literally press a button and you go invisible. Meanwhile, we could have just used real stealth, especially since we've had 3D games now for a long time. Though We could have just had like real stealth where you don't show somebody's name and they could just hide behind something. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's, it's always been a, a tricky thing. Cause like, I think that, yeah, this exact conversation we had like a year or two ago where, you know, how do you know this person's name? You've never met them before. Uh, could yeah, you, could I you remember that? Could now, you yeah. lie about your name? Could you disguise your identity or whatever? If you, if you're wanted and, and people looking for to collect that bounty were looking for you, how could you disguise that when you have your name, like nerd slayer, you know, uh, G five, that five sixty two or something like that above your head. It's like, you know, it's always been a challenge, especially with just tons and tons of players, because people want to see other players. They want to interact and everything like that. But yeah, it's 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 a it's something that uh, I don't think there's an easy answer to. But I personally would like uh, to rely a bit more on actual investigation, actual research, actual knowledge of the player. Like you shouldn't know a character's name until they introduce themselves. Like one thing I, I I'll instantly make me one thing that will instantly make me like an RPG is when I walk up to somebody and they're like, they're described as like weathered old man, not John, the conqueror, not, uh, Billy, the, the Bane brains basher or something like that. Just like weathered old man. You click on him. And it's like, weathered old man, who are you? It's like, uh, Oh, I, I'm, uh, I'm indigo. It's like, uh, Oh, okay. Well, uh, my name's Jonathan, so and so. Then it changes his nameplate to like Jonathan or something like that. Like I love that Persona does that sometimes for sure. Yeah, I love that because it, it it doesn't make sense that you would know everything about this person before you met them. So I I like the fact that it it has that layer of mystery where you're not quite sure who this is. Like you don't know that, that that's you know that's the 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 mayor until you actually talk to him. You know, so I I like I like the aspect of mystery there. And the realism that you don't necessarily know the person. And sometimes I can actually bite you because you might talk to somebody and it's like, you know, uh, tall, uh, you know, an, an arcade or whatever, be like tall ogre or whatever. And you talk to him and it's like, yeah, I'm actually, I'm actually here to kill the, the so-and-so. It's like, oh, really? You want to kill me then? You know, and you're like, you have no idea you're talking to the person you're trying to kill or something. Or, you're, or you spill too much information to somebody who shouldn't know it because you don't know who you're talking to. So like those kind of little things, and that's become rarer and rarer nowadays because people just want to know who that NPC is. They want to have an easy navigation to them. They want to have a mini map. They want to have a revealed map or or a quest marker that will point them exactly how many meters they are away from that their quest objective. And and I think that those those navigational crutches have really kind of decreased the importance of just just using common sense and navigation and logic. You know. Yeah. And I mean, even, you know, to go further than that, obviously just in real life in general, like as someone, you know, myself, like I worked in construction for a while. So like I have a lot of experience with plans and maps. So these are actually things that are like totally unrepresented in most RPGs, right? Like actual maps, mapping, creating a map cartography. These things are really not explored, but they're very RPG like. And in fact, that's 
the most core level, they're some of the most RPG like things, right? Because you have to map out like, where are we? Where's this object? You know, where do you go here? And so many of these elements, because they're automated due to technology and like you said, like ease of access of certain things, like, you know, people that these mechanics are expected you do lose a lot of uh, the role play mechanics then because people have, like you said, like they see where this person comes from exactly how many meters, even like many games will tell you yeah. this person's X feet away from you. And I'm just like, damn, that's crazy information. Like, <laughs> you're, you know what I'm saying? Like imagine in real life, like, you know, you're like your Apple watch tells you this person is 30 feet away from you. And it's just like, all right, like, I know all these things about this person and I haven't even like introduced myself to them yet. It just even seems weird in real life, uh, let alone in an online environment. Yeah. Between editing, you know, insane amounts of <laughs> hours. Uh, I've been playing a little bit of Ghost of Tsushima. Your, your father's deceased in the game all well before the game's events. But um, at one point they mention it's like a flashback to your father's funeral and they say that you know your father's still with you he's the wind at your back right that's what they say and they have a super cool uh uh mechanic in the game where your navigational arrow is is missing and instead wind will whoosh toward your objective so you can follow the wind literally to where you need to be so you'll see the grass and you'll see leaves and trees and stuff sway toward where you need to go super interesting idea but even that game, they couldn't resist adding the the meter marker on certain objectives. And it's just like, oh, you ruined it. You ruined it. You were so close. Um, super cool uh, idea. Okay. But gotcha. but unfortunately, they couldn't resist adding that that map marker and the, the you know, so-and-so meters away in certain situations. So they couldn't trust us, even with the wind literally blowing to the direction we need to go. They couldn't trust the player enough. So I think enough I mean, people get stuck. Started. It's not an RPG, <laughs> but like la noir you know like, la noir like yeah games like that yeah where it's like basically you're a detective but they, they give you like all these like hints to know where everything is and it's not even the maps aren't even that big so it's like really like someone doesn't it just doesn't want like you don't have faith in your player base missing this one object that's like in a zone that's like super tiny but i mean yeah like you can just press the thing it makes a shine and a noise and ding 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 whenever you like pick up the clue and it and you like stand it more oh this is a clue like uh they had to make it so off same thing in hitman i cannot stand don't get me started on hitman vision or whatever they call it <laughs> vision or something like oh my i hate that stuff like yeah it was you like where people were looking and all this extra information i don't want any of that in my game and to go a step further the one that did it the worst was condemned splinter cell condemned they did like the assassin meter where you just like insta killed people yeah and i hated that one too yeah it's 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 cool when you got into it but at the same time it's like uh, yeah it really it really undermines the genre that the game was supposed to be on like i I think in assassin's creed brotherhood they introduced the assassination multi-kill where if you assassinate somebody you had a you had like an opening to to chain assa- oh, yeah the assassin assassination chain where you could like kill like 17 people in a row with assassinations and it just got ridiculous like okay i guess you're just you're just a god now <laughs> you don't need to actually well, you just use the hidden blade and you just sit there and wait to counter them you just keep yeah i used to see people do that all the time <laughs> you just like it you know once you activated like one uh, special attack you could do like just insta kill insta kill insta kill insta kill insta kill in combat so it's just like yeah i got i got a little nuts um 
games where like uh where you were hiding and you were seen it would quit like a ghost of you there so you knew where where they last saw you that was kind of mm-hmm. neat so you could actually like double back and then and then surround them uh, those kind of those kind of things were cool but yeah the they definitely kind of just toned it down enough because they they want they want their player base to feel like they're badasses and they just can, like they can take on anybody and bam 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 you know ultra go you know dead shot all of them but the problem is with that is like okay now now it's a longer stealth game now it's a uh an action game with a little bit of stealth mechanics here and there and a couple a couple uh fail state kind of thing so yeah it, it's I think it's that that constant chase of popularity is one thing that kind of really sways a game away from what it used to be. And uh, I mean, sales numbers don't lie, I guess. I guess they're doing what they need to do. But uh, you look at a game, you know, you look at some games even recognizable compared to where they came from. Like, like okay, I'm a, I'm a pirate. I'm not even an assassin anymore. <laughs> he literally wasn't oh, even an assassin. about the Assassin's Creed uh, Black Flag? Or yeah. Yeah, it was a fun. It was probably one of the best pirate games ever made, but it was not an Assassin's Creed game anymore. So it's, it's just weird how that kind of evolves, and now that's like an RPG light, I guess now. So, um, how are you on time? I know you said you had two hours. I didn't want to use it too much of your time if you were if you had to go. Yeah, I probably should head out just because I still have more writing to do. And yeah, okay, you, you know how that goes when you're already yeah. tired <laughs> for your day. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, uh, I really appreciate you having this uh, talk with me. Hopefully, uh, at least some of that got out and didn't get blocked off by the poor connection here. But um, uh, tell me about what what uh, you've got in store. What do you what can we expect from you in the next uh, few weeks, months, whatever? Um, so I would say tomorrow I have another death of a game coming out, and that's going to be about. Um, let's see, I just did Magic Legends uh, two weeks ago, and this is Realm Royale. Um, which was like a high res game <clears throat> that was like a battle royale that you know went from being a very successful game in an instant to being basically forgotten about. Okay. Um, but other than that, I've also um, started writing a video that's going to come out also this month. That's about uh, how Final Fantasy fourteen I think isn't an MMORPG, and how I was kind of like mentioning this part to you before, but how. I started looking into the kind of like the um, inception of the game and obviously the creator itself, uh, Naoki uh, Yoshida. And um, one thing that I noticed about Yoshi P as he goes by um, is that, you know, he worked on Dragon uh, uh, Quest X or 10 and Dragon uh, Quest 10 is basically like an MMO light or Morpurgy if you want to or Corpurgy, whatever you want to call it. On, <laughs> But it's a it's a game that like allows up to four, four players and um has elements of like friends list and npcs and ai it has certain things like a henchman like an mmo would have um but it you know it isn't one clearly and so i'm gonna be talking about a video um that goes into detail about the creation of this you know genre and then ob- obviously the change of final fantasy 14 and how it's beating wow now uh, as well <laughs> it's a yeah. it's a big video but uh wow's losing now that's big story activision blizzard stuff that's been a lot of uh, crazy stories that I'm not really sure how or if I will get into all of that, but um, that's where I'm at right now. And I'll just keep doing death of a games uh, in the meantime. Yes, that's cool. Uh, yeah, no, it's amazing to hear how great the momentum is for final fantasy as compared to wow. And 
combined with mm-hmm. everything else, it, it's not looking that great for Blizzard. So hopefully they can turn that around. But uh, yeah, I know. Uh, I heard when Asmund Gold like started streaming uh, Final Fantasy, people freaked out. It's like you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> wow! Is over party. They had to pull the game <laughs> off the shelves. The game's digital, and they have to pull. They had to pull it off the shelves. That's how many copies they were selling. <laughs> yeah, that's nuts. So yeah, we could definitely maybe maybe something will actually dethrone uh, WoW for once. That'd be quite 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 crazy since that's been the king of uh, MMOs since like what 2004, 2005. Uh, well, that looks that sounds really interesting. I wish you the best on that. Um, as for me, uh, Cyberpunk Part Three. Uh, I think I've now hit the 50% mark on editing, but it's going to be not only my longest video ever, it's going to be over two hours long. It's also wow. part, part three of five videos. <laughs> so I might have to take a break after that and do other content just to kind of, I've been working on this series for two years now, so I, I need to, I need to, I need a break from cyberpunk after this, but I'm going to be, I, I feel you. <laughs> At least I'm more like that myself. You get more stuck in on certain things, but yeah, I have to like, even after a death of a game, sometimes I just have to go do something else or play something totally different than maybe yeah. something that I'm covering to just cleanse my like palate. You know? <laughs> yeah. I already do that, but I've just been, I've just been so like, as a, once this video is out, I think I'll have three, uh, what? No, wait, two plus one and a half, three and a half. So four hours and 15 minutes of, of, uh, cyberpunk content so far, like scripted, like second for second, you know, uh, edited content after this. So this will be, that'll be intense. I still have more to do, but, uh, yeah, looking forward to that in the next couple of months. Um, otherwise, yeah, thanks so much for coming on in and, uh, wish you the best and, uh, yeah, uh, take care. You can follow him on, uh, I think his Twitch ID is Nerd Slayer. <laughs> I, th- yeah. I, I had the same problem. I couldn't get the same name on all my accounts. But yeah, Nerd Slayer uh, on YouTube and Nerd Slayer on Twitch. Thanks so much for coming on. Take care, man. For sure. Thanks for having me. Uh, see you guys later.